There's an infinity of people joining the Napoleon Dynamite fan club. Heck yes. It's really, really in to be really, really out. Napoleon Dynamite. Would you like some Boondoggle keychains? I already made like affinity of those at Scout Camp. Lady PG. Start Friday, June 11th. Hello, all you friggin' idiots, and welcome to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those two worlds collide. My name is Steve Gunley, and I have awesome vi- podcasting skills. I don't know. Look, what, what kind of skills do my co-hosts have? Uh, hi, That's I'm where Justin. one of you can talk. <laughs> I, I fix computer, and I fix computer good, apparently. There you go. Computer skill. Gosh, I'm J-Ban. And I can stab people with swords. <laughs> I mean, that is true, though. It's true of most people. You can stab people with swords. I don't recommend it. Well, I, I mean, would argue J-Ban has training. I've, I, I've had training. Oh, okay. you've had training on that. Okay. I, <laughs> yes, I've, I've gotten, I beat, like, I've gotten gold medals. Like, Oh, wow. Not like Olympic gold medals, but like regional gold medals. A regional gold medal in stabbing people. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Which is not yeah. something I knew they gave gold medals for. Um, yeah, you have to try harder. Hello, um, I am Woody Siskowski, and I love technology. We are so excited to have Woody back here. Yeah. Woody is here. Whoa. Well, I say, I say back. This is the first time for you guys, but uh, <laughs> for for those who have kind of just jumped in uh, on this part of my podcasting journey, Woody and I podcasted together for five years on Ultra Sixty Four, We Universe, and all of our various uh, Patreon content, which is still out there. People can yeah. still listen to that. You know, nothing's you, stopping you. You should listen I'm, to I'm all the, of these first. Oh, yeah. I'm the tip to Steve's Napoleon, <laughs> I, I would say, because I'm the one with, I'm the one who chats with babes online all day. Oh, it's true. It's true. And he's, yes, very true. Uh, we're so excited to have you. It's been uh, far too long since we've, like, podcasting i mean we've done some video game apocalypse episodes yeah. but uh but, it's but you 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 threw yourself right back in to the podcasting cage fighting arena yeah I kind of i kind of took a step back every every week having to play another game of sometimes variable quality um i was like i'm not no. quite ready for it yet but you i don't know these, these guys cannot relate to that imagine <laughs> watching a movie and then playing a game yeah <laughs> and then sometimes you show up and realize I forgot to watch the movie. <laughs> Oops. Well, let's not talk about that like that's a universal experience here, Justin. That was a one-off, Justin. Some of us do the work. In Hopefully. The, in the, some of us are like on the group chat doing the work. Um, but we're we're very excited to have you. And we're very excited to be talking about uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, yeah, lots of people are probably wondering uh, what the hell kind of game can you make out of Napoleon Dynamite? Many of us are still wondering that. Sure. Um, you know, but it's going to be very uh, interesting to get into. Napoleon Dynamite is something that is so very specific. Well, what he was saying before we were started recording that, like, it's it's one of those things that really kind of locks you in a very particular place in time, because it was just like pop- biscuit. Just exactly like the biscuit. We were trying to get that out of the way earlier, Justin. You didn't need to bring it back in. <laughs> but now it's you put it in my mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like yeah no it's it's one of those things that was like a legitimate like cultural phenomenon but it was a very contained cultural phenomenon they could have followed up on it in a million different yeah. ways and nothing ever really materialized well that's that's why i'm actually really excited to talk about it because i i do wonder like this movie was like big in our school and like i was in high school when this movie came out and like people were quoting it but like was it big in other people's experience? Like, I don't know if just because like I lived in a very small town, not unlike the one featured in Napoleon Dynamite. Mm -hmm. And like, I was like to other, I'm just wondering, like, did this movie land with other people? Was it like quoted sort of, you know, countrywide or because I've also met people who are just like, I hate that movie. I don't care about that movie. I don't know why it was anything. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just curious, like, what is, is this, your guys' relationship to Napoleon and his movie? Is yeah. this where, where I come in and say that uh, I didn't like this movie? And I, <laughs> at the time, I was like, why? It's just, I don't know. It, I feel like it, 
hit a little better now than it did mm-hmm. then. Uh, but I, it's just like a style of comedy that I've never really enjoyed. Um, and so at the time, I like everybody was quoting it, and I was okay. just like, God. Where did you grow up, Justin? If you don't like, uh, I grew up country? in a small town in northern Illinois. Okay, so yeah, I'm from I'm from Western Washington, so it clearly yeah. had some reach from reach. Oh yeah, way. I. Yeah also grew up in small town Michigan and I think that this definitely shows what it's like to grow up in a small town um, yes. I uh, when you talk about the zeitgeist or the reach that it had it was definitely quoted endlessly it was quoted for a long time to me obnoxiously before I ever <laughs> watched the movie and then I watched the movie and when the first time I watched it I was charmed by it but uh, but on rewatching, I'm not sure the charm holds up. Uh, the You're entire... describing this, the exact experience I have with Napoleon Dynamite every time I go back to this movie, where it's like it's it's hot and cold every single time. I really need to be in the right mood for it. This time around, I had to split my viewing, uh, you mm. know, because I just had like a little narrow window of time. So I watched the first half of it, charmed the ever loving hell out of me. Then I came back like two hours later, yeah. after, like a <laughs> rehearsal or something, put on the rest of it. And I'm like, oh god, this is obnoxious. Well, like, and I, it's the I, same movie. I can, I can see both readings. I, I yeah. think that this... I split my my viewing as well. And the first half so annoyed. The second half so charmed. Got a charm. See <laughs> exactly. I, it, I yeah. feel similar to j band but there is a tonal shift near like the middle i say tonal shift it's not like a major thing but like the comedy it turns changes. out they're in a nightclub filled with vampires yeah <laughs> like it's it starts off with a lot of like uh like dumb family comedy and then the second half of the movie is more about like people and less about making fun of each other um, I mean, I I would argue the the reason that this movie caught on so well, and also the reason that maybe we struggle with it a little bit, is that it is a movie of catchphrases. And I don't mean it's a movie like Anchorman that has a lot of catchphrases in it or a lot of quotable moments. It is a movie, and it is a script entirely compiled of catchphrases, of of quotes, of one-liners. Like every single line in this movie could be pulled out and printed on a T-shirt. Sure. And you yeah. could like identify as the funniest line in the movie. I would go further. It's not just a, a movie of catchphrases. It's a movie of uh, of memes. Uh, like Meme, a, a, yeah. A, a brief May-mays. moments that are like um are are just basically like set pieces that have become a cultural zeitgeist uh, images uh, that have just uh, are the equivalent of, equivalent of one-liners images. That I are. I see yeah. the kip you know, like congratulating himself at the bowling alley all the time to this day. But watching this movie, it started with Kip saying your mom goes to college. And from there, it was like a swarm of little mini PTSD memories of all of the all of the jokes and one liners that I remembered hating when I was younger and then going, all right, look. I would absolutely say your mom goes to college. <laughs> so that's why you hated this movie because it exposed to you. It, you know, it's been said that we we despise in other people the things that most remind us of ourselves. And so I that think that's very well be the source of. I, um, it was definitely because I wasn't like that at the time. Uh, but you're like but that now. now. I am. So <laughs> I I've grown into it. Apparently. Sure. Yeah, you're. You're. Some people are going into their villain era. You're going into your Napoleon Dynamite era. I like uh, it happened late for you. It was somewhat recently around a podcast. I definitely wasn't during it, but I said like your mom to something to Stephen, and Steve was just like, "You're that guy now." It's <laughs> like I don't know if I like it. <laughs> Sorry, that's you now. <laughs> let, let me give a little bit of background on this movie because it had kind of a fascinating little journey. Uh, the movie Napoleon Dynamite was released June 11th, 2004. It's directed by Jared Hess and written by Jared and Jerusha Hess, married couple. Uh, it stars John Heater, John Grease, Aaron Rule, Efren Ramirez, Tina Majorino, Sandy Martin, and Diedrich Bader. And like we say, if you were around and conscious in the summer of 2004, there's a good chance you either owned or knew somebody who owned a Vote for Pedro t-shirt. Right? I mean, are we all guilty of this? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have one, but I definitely had friends who had one. Guys, I, can we take a, I bet this will make you feel old moment? Yes. Um, 
You know how old Pedro is now? How old is Pedro now? Roughly my age currently. Fifty. Is oh, he seriously? Yeah. He did oh, scream. Like Pedro is fifty years old. He is wow. apparently a DJ. So good okay. on him. Good for oh, him. Nice. That's awesome. And he's delightful in this movie. Yeah, I mean this this movie is uh, about to have its twentieth anniversary, you know, and uh, but yeah, th this was a tiny little indie movie that really penetrated the zeitgeist for a little bit. It cost four hundred thousand dollars to make. It made more than forty seven million, which is actually a little smaller than I thought, given how sure. ubiquitous this was. Like I would have thought this was a hundred million grosser at least. But uh, it really is an interesting little cultural nugget. Uh, this came about because uh, director Jared Hess and star John Heater met while they were students at Brigham Young University in Utah. Uh, they collaborated on a short film about a nerdy teenage loner as part of a class project. And after the short started getting some attention on the festival circuit, uh, a producer friend of uh, Hess's convinced him to drop out of college and pursue filmmaking full time. So they were able to shop the script around. Uh, it was purchased by 20th Century Fox's new indie sub-label, Fox Searchlight. And it started getting some buzz. Now, the studio really wanted to put Jake Gyllenhaal in the lead of this movie. Wow. <laughs> Would have been a weird choice. I mean, he was, this was post-Bubble Boy. So, like, he can do a movie like this but he's he's probably shooting brokeback mountain around this time <laughs> that would be a very funny uh one two punch in the filmography is napoleon dynamite into brokeback mountain yeah right oh when did jarhead jarhead was like 2004 or 5 right yeah, something around so. there i would I mean, love I he got ridiculously to... jacked for that movie. Sure. He is like wildly muscular. I cannot imagine a wildly muscular Napoleon Dynamite. I, I mean, I can't. The thing is, I can't imagine a anything different Napoleon Dynamite. Like, no, I, I, I would love to see Jake Gyllenhaal or anyone else in the role. Not because I don't think John Heater does a phenomenal job, but just because like, is there any other actor I mean, there, what who's been like so defined by like one role? Because John Heater is still like in a lot of movies and still works, but like is not had any sort of like a list success. What he's he's probably yeah. e tier. And he, he had but, like a little movie star run for a bit after this. Like he was, he, he had like, you know, a couple of movies that didn't land. He did like school for scoundrels and the bench warmers and then blades of glory. Or is that the one blades of glory with Will yeah. Ferrell? Yeah. I always confuse that with the balls of fury. Game. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of, we talked about balls of fury. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of a hit movie, you know, and he was okay. the second lead in that film, you know? So like he had a little run for a little bit. But none of his roles ever quite connect, and I think it's because he can't ever fully get out of the shadow of this character because he played it too perfectly. Right, it, because this character is just like, we, you know, whether you like this movie or not, like this character is one of these amazing things that can like fully exist. Like you can you can see still pictures of this movie of Napoleon sitting there, and you're like. Mm. Wow, that is an interesting looking character. Mm -hmm. Like I I yeah. want to hear what this guy has to say. Just like so much of this movie is characters kind of sitting or standing and looking at stuff. Yeah. Just like the way that they're able to capture that is so good. Like to me this movie is kind of a duo with another one of my favorite movies which is Ghost World. Yeah. In terms of like this sort of comedy that is kind of sad all the time which is sometimes in my darker hours, how I feel where you like kind of look at things and you're like, well, that's a, that's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad. And like, yeah. that's just sort of the vibe of, um, of this, like about Schmidt is another one of those movies that I really, really like. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just feel like John heaters, the way he holds his body and the voice is just so phenomenal. Well, there's something observational about Napoleon, too, because he, he is obviously very heightened, but, like, we all knew this guy, right? Am I am I yeah. alone? Like, did we no, know this we guy? In this guy. Yeah. Like, Some of us always... were that guy. I, <laughs> yeah, if, see, if, I you didn't... if you didn't know that guy, it's because you were that guy. Yeah. I, I didn't know that guy, and it's because I didn't know anyone. <laughs> I was but the like... quiet kid in the corner. <laughs> Oh, so you were that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, Maybe. You, the, you had a pocket full of tater tots, yeah. And, and no, but like tots. I wish, because tater tots are great. No, but I mean, they, there was always that... It, it's the very specific observation that, like, n this kid is a loner, 
not just because he's weird, but because he's unpleasantly weird. Like he is, he's aggressive. He's, he's not only very assured about himself and who he is, he is condescending to everybody who doesn't have it as figured out as him. Like he's a pretty unlikable person. And I think that's part of the, the brilliance of the John heater in this role is that like, you don't want to stop looking at this guy. Right. he, He is kind of a jerk. He is kind of a jerk, but like, I, and I think that's another thing that I like about this movie a lot. And I think it comes from um, probably John Heater and Jared Hess's aesthetic as Mormons. And maybe this is me like putting something on it that's not there. But like, I don't feel like this movie is ever that mean spirited. Okay. And like, for being like a teen movie, like this movie is hardly ever horny, except for the weird okay. subplot with LaFonda, which I'm not crazy <laughs> about. Um but like it, it always feels like very clean to me in a way that is uncommon and kind of reminds me of like Homestar Runner or something like that. Um, where yeah. I, I, some of the criticisms that I've heard of this movie is that it's very sort of judgy and mean towards like its characters and small town America as like a bunch of rubes. But I don't feel like this movie is mean to its characters. I, I no, no, like. Even the kids at school, I mean, there's there's like one kid that bullies Napoleon, but like, right. you know, mostly people just kind of stay away. Like, and, but, yeah. And I, but I don't feel like the movie itself is like casting judgment of us like, oh, look at these weirdos. You know what I mean? Like, what's yeah. a, I, I, I don't know. And that, that, definitely casting like it's like the, they definitely have a look at the weirdos. Um vibe especially in the first half i think it changes in the second half where napoleon starts to get friends and starts to step out of his shell and learns to dance uh (laughs) but um i I definitely think the first half which is i think is a a little bit more unpleasant for me is like this like rural um middle of nowhere not going anywhere not doing anything um vibe yeah Um, but the thing that's odd about it is like i watch this with the commentary because i've seen this movie so many times i'm like okay i'll try it with the commentary and like almost all of the events that occurred in this movie are from like jared hess's life who grew up um like on the border of utah and idaho um in one of i think in this town maybe Um, it might be i know most of the most of the cast like the extras in this movie are just like his friends from childhood Right, exactly. And so many things like he talked about how it, it his wife was at a dance and had made herself a dress and the boy that she was with complimented her sleeves as being real big. Um, and so he just put that in the movie and like him riding a bike, um, you know, towing his brother behind him was another thing just sort of from the movie. And yeah. so it is an odd thing because I feel like probably more than anything else like this movie's aesthetic is based on like small town rural America that could be looking down at a little bit but like the the the, the only way that this movie got made is with the support of the town that like is being yeah. featured and like I'm sure that they are all really proud and happy to be like I bet if you go to that town they're like home of Napoleon Dynamite or something like oh, that I'm sure. Pres- Preston Idaho I think it is yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I I think this movie captures, I mean, yeah, like we mentioned, all of us grew up in small towns of some form or another. And I think it, this movie really captures the boredom of small town America and about how you really need to make your own fun and commit to your own aesthetic. And yeah, exactly. The, the thing of like dragging your brother into town, you know, like it wasn't on rollerblades, but like me and my siblings would string our bikes together. We would make ramps. We would you know, you make you would, your own you fun take out them of off you sweet have. jumps to exactly. use the terminology. You, you go off the sweetest jumps. Uh, you get like three feet of air every time. <laughs> uh, I was lucky enough to, when I was those ages, have access to RuneScape. Oh, see, <laughs> there you so, go. I stayed inside and played RuneScape. Well, and that's another weird thing about this movie. Sorry, J-Band, where are you going? I was just like, I think this captures a really specific time before much internet. Uh, yes. You saw the computer that uh, Kip was using. Uh, the, this was a time before, you know, we had Xboxes. and They probably used uh, AOL. Well, 
Yeah, because like this movie obviously came out in 2004, but I think is very much based on Jared Hess's upbringing, which would have been in the early 90s, probably would have been yeah. around when this is taking place. So like Kip has access to the Internet, but like it barely it barely works. Yeah, it's just like this chat. But it's, it's also this is a town that's like this probably is 2004, but it feels like a few steps behind yeah. like where everyone else is. And Napoleon's house is a few steps behind that, you know, wood paneling. Uh, wood, but yeah, yeah like, exactly. I really feel like the, the musical soundtrack uh, is straight out of the late eighties actually. Yeah. 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 It's got a little bit of like a twee kind of, uh, uh, you know, Fox searchlighty kind of sound. I just associate it with like a little miss sunshine in this. I don't know. It's just kind of a little, but they they do have that great uh, white stripe song in the beginning too. And the, yeah, uh, kind of the opening credits are kind of my favorite part. The, the opening credits movie. are amazing. Well, I learned too in the commentary is that the opening credits were not initially part of the movie mm-hmm. um, because it was very low budget. And then when Fox decided to buy the movie at Sundance, they gave them more money to put in those opening credits, which is why they have you know very nice production values in that opening. Right, um, and then they were able so able to reach out to the White Stripes, which I think was the first time that the White Stripes like they like messaged the White Stripes directly and were like, "Hey, do you know? Here's our movie. Can you possibly give us some music to use for this intro?" And it is really good. Yeah, um, I, I read that they uh, there's a post credit scene uh, of this movie that uh, takes place at Kip's wedding to La Fonda, and Napoleon yep. rides in on horseback. And that scene alone cost about twice what the whole rest of the movie did. <laughs> and that yeah, was just the Fox's insistence. Yeah, yeah, they, so. it, yeah. It's just this weird, this weird budget bloat because, like, this is a low budget movie, but I don't feel like it ever looks cheap in the sense that, no. like, it feels like the aesthetic is very intentional. Um, and I, I was one like. This you guys think this is like the lowest budget movie that you've covered on this podcast so far? Because usually, like, oh no, because we covered uh, we covered Blair Witch Project. Oh yeah, Blair, Blair oh yeah. Okay. So that that has that one beat, but this is this okay. is definitely a contender for that for sure. Um, I so I'm reading a little bit about how that credit scene came into play, and it was like when they were shopping the idea, like when they were doing the idea and like showing it to them, they were like the Fox folks were like. Oh yeah, this is fun. And then somebody was like, eh, "There's a hangnail in on the hand. Uh, let's let's fix that." So they, the one of the first interactions they apparently had with the studio was other than like once they got everything going was, oh yeah, they're flying a hand model out to help reshoot that the opening credits. Oh uh, my god! They and yeah, they didn't using, like John Heater's hands. Yeah, so. they ended up using a combination of the hand model, John Heater's hands, and like one or two of the producers. Uh, for the the final shots, or for the well, I mean, his his knuckles are chapped from playing tetherball with all of his heart. You know, the tetherball just really brought me back in particular I... this time. Like that was it, there was just a period, a small but very uh, real period of my life that revolved around tetherball. You know, and Ooh, that was revolved around year. tetherball. Well yeah. done. I always, very I recent. always wanted to play tetherball, but. Uh, I didn't have any friends and I felt weird <laughs> that, hitting it. That didn't stop Napoleon. Myself. It didn't stop Napoleon. It did stop me. No, that's, that's um, where you can practice all your kicks and your, your jump flips and everything oh, like that, you know? Yeah. yeah I mean, true. that's true. It, this really, basically this is a movie that doesn't have a plot or like stakes of any, like not a traditional if plot. Any not really. stakes, it's Pedro running for president, which doesn't get revealed until like an hour into the movie. Yeah. That doesn't even start. And even then, those are pretty low stakes, you know, like if he doesn't get to be president of the small town, Idaho, uh, uh, you know, high school, it's really not that big a deal. Right. But, you know, and it's also, you know, it's not a movie where a character experiences a lot of growth like Napoleon. Sure kind of learns to admit that he maybe likes this one girl a little bit, but not really. It's more that like he softens slightly enough to make friends. Right. But he's always been pretty comfortable with who he is and where he is in the world. And like that, he doesn't seem interested in wanting to change that. And that's just kind of part of his whole, like aggressive loser idea here, you know, just like it's, and you can't really feel like the movie's picking on him too much because he is picking on himself more than anybody else. Like he's, he's caught, he is the source of his own problems. Sure. And I, I do feel like 
you know, the end of this movie and sort of the climax of his dance scene is pretty satisfying. It, oh, yeah. it really does the thing for a lot of movies struggle with like the idea of if you have someone on stage in front of an audience in a movie and they put on some kind of performance, there's the way the audience reacts and then the way that we as viewers rea- rea- react. Because sometimes like there'll be a movie about a stand-up com- comedian who does like this terrible comedy in the movie and everyone's laughing and you're like, wait, but that's not funny is the bit that it's supposed to not be funny and you get confused. And like here, I feel it lines up perfectly because like John Heater does this amazing dance and mm-hmm. you're kind of like all taken aback being like, was that good? Was that weird? It seemed good. And then like the audience in the movie kind of responds the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of set up like this triumphant moment, but like they queued that up maybe 10 minutes before they paid it off. You know, he right. finds the tape in the Goodwill, we see two scenes of him practicing and then he's on stage doing it, you know? So this isn't something that's been teased out throughout the entire movie. It is just kind of like dropped in towards the end. So yeah, not really any kind of traditional narrative. And I think that's another thing I struggled with when I was younger. Uh, you know, there's always the, there's always the idea that like, if you don't like a movie because it's doing something that uh, they're not aware that they're doing it, you know, and it's not until you need to step back and be like, okay, that was a choice. Like they're choosing to not have a narrative. They're choosing. This is all intentional. Well, and you know, also so. it's just, everything stems from budget in some ways. Like the cheapest thing is to just kind of have your characters standing around looking at stuff and talking. Yeah. Like conflict often leads to having more intricate set pieces or having to pay like your higher paid actors like John Grease or, um, you know, Diedrich Bader more money. So yeah, you have to you have to imagine that's pretty flattering for John Grease at this point in his career to think, yeah, yeah. yes, I'm the biggest name on this call sheet. Like, Steve, have you ever clear, seen the movie Joysticks? Yes, I have. Okay, oh my God. That's, a, that's a that's a highlight of the John Grease filmography where he plays King Vidiot. I've I've had a little run of John Grease movies recently for some reason, just kind of randomly coming up. We talked about Terror Vision on my other podcast where he's a uh, a heavy metal guy named Od. But then I was just thinking, like, this guy's crazy versatile because he's that that same year he's in Real Genius, where he's like the weirdo living in the closet. And then, like, he's Uncle Rico, and now he's on the White Lotus. It's just like that guy's got a really crazy, like, that's a pretty you could have a. I've been thinking about that occasionally, like to have film festivals with different actors. Yeah. And like, you could could do a fun John Grease one. You call it Grease Fest. Absolutely. Yeah. It could take place in Greece. Some real sloppy burgers uh, for sale as well. (laughs) And everyone everyone would be very nice. Yeah. (laughs) They would come and you're like, sell tickets to Grease Fest. And then we're all going to watch Joysticks and Napoleon Dynamite. This is a bunch of people dressed like pink ladies who don't know where to go. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it, like I said, it's it's a movie that because it's so piecemeal in its ways that like you do kind of respond to it differently every time. And I think this was a movie definitely in 2004, this movie got overexposed in sure. a pretty severe way. I think once like the, the Vote for Pedro shirt started like being sold in my local Walmart, like it was just kind of all over. And then everybody was quoting the lines back and forth. And it was just always like, there was always the one kid who kind of made his whole personality just saying, gosh, like Napoleon, mm-hmm. like as often as possible. And it, it you did guys, start to great, man. Like a couple years ago, I got like this weird pang of nostalgia for like people quoting Borat. Like mm-hmm. I was like all this stuff. I, I totally agree. It was like super annoying, but I'm like, man, I would love to hear like a, my wife or like, you know, just someone quoting, dr evil or something like that because it's what it feels and maybe it's because i'm out of high school or whatever but it feels like there that time is gone of like the shared bad movie quoting um that just kind of permeates and like i i would love another obnoxious mike myers character to quote or something yeah i was saying what what was the last like big crossover movie that everybody was just sort of like quoting at each other I almost feel like it was Borat and that movie's from like 2006 or 2008. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's something more current, but like there's, there's no real monoculture anymore. You know, it's just like there, you know, movies are getting buried on Netflix, you know? So like not everybody knows if, like, it seems like if that. any movie was going to do it, it would have been Barbie. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I imagine I like, Barbie, I feel like yeah. and has a lot of those kind of lines. Um, but I, I, again, maybe it's cause I'm not in high school, but I don't even feel like Barbie managed to make it. 
Yeah, I guess what is the uh, I guess I've, I've seen a lot of the sweaters that say like I am Knuff, but he doesn't really oh, say sure. that in the movie. He just I wears think he does at one point. He does. He yeah. does it once. Yeah. Oh, does he say it? OK, yeah. And I guess the I, I was hearing the uh, my job is beach line for for a bit over the summer, but uh, it seems to have died down. Well, yeah, yeah. no, that's all right. Good job. Well, one Barbie. or two. We'll say Barbie. We'll say it's Barbie. But, you know, it's it's a hard one. But Barbie was a weird phenomenon in a lot of different ways. Um, but, you know, this this one also was just one that kind of hit really hard and then went away. You know, there was obviously talk of doing a sequel, you know, because why not strike with the irons hot? But uh, Jared Hess didn't want to do it. And John Heater didn't want to do it without Jared Hess. And uh, you can't really do this movie without at least one of those guys. You know, you just can't really follow it up. Uh, apparently, they've been noodling with the idea of doing like a real time, like 20 years later kind of sequel uh, that would just sort of catch up with them in their lives. I don't know that I want to see that. It's, I don't know. It's there, there was actually an animated series based there on this. Was. That yeah. came out, I want to say, like significantly later. It was 2012. Yeah, it was 2012 Oof. that came out, and the whole yeah, cast came back. You know, I was legitimately episodes. excited for that because I'm a man with no taste, and <laughs> it is not a good show. Is it not good? I never got <laughs> to it. Did either I mean, I think it lasted one season and got canceled. No. But it's yeah. I mean, again, like why? The, you know, all of these physical performances and like the look of these characters is such a highlight of it that to like have it just look like an episode of Family Guy or whatever does not does not look good yeah yeah it's got it needs that kind of like low rent sort of wes anderson kind of aesthetic that they they stumble upon you know yeah that's that's what this reminded me of weirdly it reminded me of like very early wes anderson no and i'm i'm totally with you and i want to just brief briefly talk about that because i think it's interesting like i think about jared hess kind of more than i should because (laughs) like he had a very similar like starting thing as wes anderson like he made this quirky short film with like one of his friends, which is basically how Bottle Rocket got started. It was mm-hmm. like a short film with the um, Wilson brothers, and like Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson went on to like have two you know mammoth mammoth careers, and like Jared Hess and John Heater, sort of like had a similar vibe and just couldn't quite break out of whatever it was they did. And not to say that like Jared Hess hasn't done more stuff. Like I kind of like the movie Masterminds. But, I haven't um, seen it. That was kind of a COVID casualty, right? Like, it, no, or, I think it or, came out before that. Oh, it was, it, there was some kind of bungling. Like, I think the studio shut down or something. Maybe but so. Like, but I, I think that it's a fun, uh, go- stupid crime caper movie. Um, but like, he yeah, never he a, quite found success. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the crazy thing. Okay, so yeah, he had oh, a couple yeah. of movies after this. One of them was I know Nacho, where you're going with this. Nacho Libre, which was uh, a, a, a modest hit. I've heard people defend it. I've never seen it. They had a couple of indie movies called Gentleman Broncos and Don Verdine. Which Those are neither, awful, awful movies. Pretty like, bad. Like, like you watch them, they are aggressively terrible. Yeah, that, that was. I didn't see Don Verdine, but I saw Gentleman Broncos. And, and they have, yeah, Don. They both have like great cast. Like any movie with Sam Rockwell and Jermaine Clement, you're like, this is gonna be fun. And yeah, it is not fun. Yeah. Did either of you see that? Did, did JB? Did you see Gentleman mm-hmm. Broncos? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty terrible. And but then, yeah, Masterminds kind of came out. But then just recently, uh, Jared has took on a very ambitious new project. He's going to be the director of the Minecraft movie. All right. He's like the 10th director oh to take this on. Uh, but apparently this one is actually happening. Like they have a cast like they have they're they're shooting it. I don't uh, know what it's going to be or what it's going to look like. But that's kind of a weird swerve for this guy's career like did they get I mean, chris pratt to play minecraft steve no no I jack think black luckily yeah i think jack. it's jason momoa is the lead of the movie oh really? it's really weird to think of because like that guy seems very round to me like he doesn't seem square <laughs> he doesn't I, seem like i know jack black is in it and i forget who uh, somebody else was just announced to so I think no, after... jack black is steve jason momoa is second on the cast list according to wikipedia okay. wow I think after the Mario Brothers movie, there is now a legal obligation that you have to put Jack Black in all of your video game movies. Kinda, yeah. Just like, mean, it's look, like you're sort of Black is pretty to... great. Oh, oh look, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not look, down yeah. on Jack Black. I'm just saying, like that's that's the Five Nights at Freddy's. If it had Jack Black in it, would have done double its number. <laughs> yeah, and I know probably. it was very successful. It was very successful. Yeah, I know. Imagine if it had Jack Black in it. 
I mean, uh, we we haven't talked about this yet, Woody, but uh, if I could do a quick side tangent. Uh, seeing that new Super Mario Brothers movie uh, has made me come a complete 180 on the original 1993 Mario Brothers movie. You were always right about that movie. I have to give it to you. You were always wow. right about that movie. This is a this is coming out big news now. This yeah, is big I news. I have... A loud, irritating defender of the Bob Hodgkins, uh, John Leguizamo Mario movie, and Steve <laughs> begrudgingly watched it with me, perhaps multiple times. At we least podcasted twice, about yeah. it, um, and he still came down on it. But yes, I was only cemented on my opinion with the with the soulless 2023 yeah. Mario movie, which uh, is just. It's it's a movie that gives you exactly what you think you want, and it is utterly empty and pointless and joyless. And and uh, I would rather have weird post-apocalyptic mushroom fungus Dennis Hopper any day. <laughs> All right, uh, so Good. that's that's where I've come down on the Super Mario Brothers movie. But well, that's wait. that we can wrap a we can close up our relationship now. It's come full circle. I've convinced you. Of the Mario Brothers movie. That's all you ever wanted. Yeah, is, yes, to turn me around on that. The Minecraft movie is going to be live action. What it is? What? Is everyone going to wear like cardboard boxes or something? Well, that, that's dumb. I mean, that actually sounds pretty good and something that Jared has would be very good at directing. <laughs> and actually, I think yeah. Jack Black yeah. could rock it. Jason Momoa is, I mean, he seems like a chill dude. I don't know. But he's, yeah, he's, 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 you're right. He's circles. Jason yeah. Momoa is circles they, and Jack Black is a square. Give yeah. him a refrigerator box. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say that Jason Momoa is about to cross the Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt threshold of everyone being sick of him and thinking yeah. that they were really into him and then realizing, mm, I've had mm. enough of this guy. Don't come after me, Jason Momoa. If you listen to this podcast, don't, I got nothing. And he you. does. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no. That, it's that's definitely been a thing I've noticed that like we are so we're in like a post movie star kind of environment, and like anytime we have somebody who seems like they might have crossover appeal, like oh, this person's name could sell a movie even if they're not playing a superhero, we kind of beat that to death. Like we give them they need a podcast and they need like six different streaming shows and they need to host a game show and they're in commercials and then there's just a random show where year. like. Jason Momoa travels across the country talking to people, and you're like, "Why is Jason Momoa my travel guide?" That's just yeah. odd. <laughs> I, you know, I, look. Upon further inspection, it's Jason Momoa, Jack Black, and Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge was the third one announced. That's as right. Well, I was trying to remember. As three other actors and actresses that I do not know of, they appear to be uh, in the kiddo variety. Oh, okay. Well, this sounds weird. And I will be very intrigued if it actually comes out with that cast under Jared Hess's direction. It we'll seems see. like it could be a weird thing. Do you think I... it'll be better than Napoleon Dynamite? No. <laughs> Maybe. But again, I like Napoleon Dynamite a lot. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So where where do we? I mean, having discussed it, I mean, again, this is a movie. The temperature changes every time you like look at it differently. But like, I don't know where where are we coming down on this movie before we talk about the game. Like I I I think I've I've landed on like I'm I'm very charmed by this movie, uh, but it needs to be a small doses kind of thing. I'm glad this is not. I'm glad this is just what it is because I think if there were a successful sequel or if there were a franchise built around this, it would have gotten to be too much too quickly. I think now with like 20 years of this being the only like significant Napoleon Dynamite property. I can come down on it as being a pretty charming, fun movie, but it's still kind of a small doses thing, I think. Sure. I, I I like this movie. I always find it enjoyable. I feel like it has this weird thing of somehow feeling both like a personal movie to me, like, oh man, have you guys seen Napoleon Dynamite? Like, right. of, like of course they have, because like everyone our age has sort of seen it, but like it somehow felt like it spoke to me on a very personal level, even though like it was this very successful thing. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like there's nothing really that quite looks like it. Like I, I think Kip is like, obviously Napoleon is a star, but like, I think Kip is like super delightful and every tons of the lines and interactions that him and Napoleon have are really funny. And like, I don't know, I guess I kind of just feel like there's not a lot of movies that are like this. And whenever you get a movie that is like very distinct and weird, 
and unique, I always come in favor of it because mm. like the alternative is that it's the Mario movie from 2023. Yeah. And it's just sort of an uninteresting thing. And so I appreciate that this movie exists. So I, I say good movie. That's a fair. See, yeah, I, I appreciate that. J-Ban, where do you come down on this one? I've seen this movie twice in 20 years. Uh, and I think that's about enough. There you uh, go. All right. Uh, I think it's, I like when people are weird and doing weird things. And so that the weirdness pleases me. Uh, the cringe comedy, it's just like, it's not my thing. Uh, mm. The aesthetic I like because I'm a big Wes Anderson film. So I actually quite like the aesthetic of the film. Yeah. Uh, you say I that like you are a big Wes Anderson film? Yeah, uh, we're, we're announcing it here. Wes Anderson's new project, J-Ban the Movie. So, <laughs> I would well, watch sorry. it. Um, sorry to interrupt. I do own a beret. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, contact me, Wes Anderson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you give me, I'm, now I'm just pitching the idea. Now I want you to be like a, a traveling like fencer or something. You know, I, like, was in just, a, just... I was in an improv troupe called Yes Anderson. Um, <laughs> And it was fantastic. That sounds uh, pretty good. It was really fun. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I think it's um, it's got its um, it's got its strengths. It's got its weaknesses. And I think the weaknesses is the um, flashing me back to living in small town America. And maybe <laughs> if you don't live in small town America, you can find it to be hilarious. Uh, but I can just be like, oh my God, I hated living in a small town so much. It does kind of yeah. strike that ugly chord. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the the image of like a uh, walk-in free or like a like a a big standing freezer full of meat that's just always out in the garage. I don't know why. I just associate that very much with uh, living in a very small town, Colorado. We were lucky enough to have a, a freezer in the garage. Yeah. Like a stand-up freezer. That okay, was, okay. That that felt pretty chill. Although I do hope to have a garage again one day just because I want to do that like middle-aged guy thing of having a uh extra fridge in the garage just for beers. Oh, when we when we were moving into the house that we're renting, when I was doing the tour, the owner was like, Yeah, I'm gonna take this fridge out of here before you guys move in. So don't worry about it. It was there the day we moved in, and he's like, Yeah, if it breaks, I'm not gonna fix it, but I don't want to move it. So yeah, y'all get y'all get a garage fridge and there it's go. got like uh, some frozen pizzas and beer. Fair enough. There you go. That's all you need. All right. Well, let's let's transition to this game here because this is a deeply strange game that a lot of people are probably not aware uh, of its existence. So Napoleon Dynamite. I was not aware of its existence. Oh, you weren't. And... See, I I assumed you were picking this episode because you knew how weird ass this game was and you had a take on it. No, I my, my take was I want to talk about Napoleon Dynamite because I was just looking through a list of like you know, video games based on movies and you guys had already done Wayne's world. Because <laughs> yeah, um, I, I find that the most fascinating is like, what are the movies that like seem totally untranslatable to games? And then I learned that this game actually exists. And I'm like, yeah, I would, I would play that. I'm, I'm hungry for more Napoleon content. Well, boy, oh boy, are you getting more Was your hunger here? sated? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that you, 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 yeah, your cup runneth over now. What well, was yeah. it stated, or did you just not want more? <laughs> well, let's find out. Napoleon Dynamite, the game, came out on October thirtieth, two thousand seven. It's developed by Seven Studios and published by our buddies at Crave Entertainment. And uh, this was released on the DS and the PSP. We played the PSP version for this one, um, which I think is probably the better way to go. But. Uh, yeah, this hit the the PSP three years after the movie with basically no fanfare. Uh, this is a Crave production, like we mentioned. We last talked about them for the GBA adaptation of Elf, uh, which was turns out not very good. I believe uh, that it. game. Wild. Kind of a kind of an uninspired, boring platformer game. Uh, I will say this. This game is at least putting in more effort than that Elf game did. Like, if that Elf game is like the the least possible amount of effort you need to turn a game into a, uh, a movie into a game. This is not that. There's this a lot of that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, this is a couple clicks over that in terms of effort, but in terms of like gameplay design, no. I feel like most of this is about 
if you if you probably taught me for if you spent four hours with me teaching me how to program, yeah, I could probably program most of this game. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Maybe, but if you did, you'd be doing a fantastic job because I think this game is thoroughly great. Oh Whoa. wow. Okay. JBan okay. likes mini games. I that is like true. Yeah, you do. I don't this this shouldn't be a shock for us. Uh because the game is just mini games. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh there are there uh, if you're playing the PSP version there's uh 30 mini games there's only 25 on the DS mm -hmm. so we get five extra mini games. No, I think 30 is generous in the sense that they reuse the dancing one multiple times and there's like a Kip singing one that is essentially the same game. Yeah, it's kind of like uh those old Nintendo cartridges that promised to have like 52 or 56 different games on it but really it was like four of them are like pong Right, you know, and then like they and then they they palette swap. They palette yeah. up Bill and Lance in like the Contra clones. Right, yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, not that different, but I will I, I will shout out the the visual style of this, which is uh, immediately the most striking and kind of interesting thing about this game, is it's it's a paper collage. Like this is a a movie that is it looks like it's kind of cut and paste together from screenshots of the movie. And I have to say, this is kind of a novel approach. Like instead of just sort of uh, rendering like kind of shitty looking pixels of these characters like doing their thing, they took a stand with it and they did something interesting. And I think it's something that's in keeping with the style of the movie. Like, so I'm gonna give it credit for doing that. I think that's that was ultimately kind of cool, even if it did often to me look like a jib jab, you know, sure. just look like a Napoleon Dynamite version well, of the e-cards you would send to your parents. Yeah. I was almost surprised that this game came out in 2007 because it, it feels very like of, you know, like they really wanted to pump it out quick. And yeah. as early as the Internet, as it as it could be after the movie, um, because, yeah, the jib jab comparison is very apt. And like the actual gameplay designs feel very much like something you would play on a web browser. Um, not that not that that's bad, because, um, yeah, J Van, I'm actually with you. Like, I kind of like this game, too. Um, even though, I, I mean, I played through this whole game and all, I played through all the mini games and this game gets my recommendation in the sense that it never really gave me a reason to stop playing it, even though like it, I don't think anything about it was particularly fun, but all of the mini games were fairly short and then they would just give me six new mini games. And I'm like, sure, I'll try out these six. And I beat them all pretty much on my first try, except for a couple. And then I would just play the next one. I got a little bogged down on the bowling one. Okay, um, I don't think we got that far. For okay. me, I got bogged down on the uh, time machine circuit board yes, puzzle. That one was one of the ones I had to play a couple times. But I felt like that one was slightly better designed than some of the other ones. Yeah. Um, now, I, I read there were very few reviews of this game that came out at the sure. time, but I read one that made actually a really compelling point. A lot of what we talk about on this show is like, why does this movie need to have a game? Does it complement? Does it understand like the vibe of the movie or the property it's adapting? Now, and while I will say it adapts the visual style in a way that I think is interesting and unique without being one to one, it does kind of negate the principle of the movie all right because and this this reviewer said it better than i did but basically napoleon is funny as a character in the film because he is somebody who brags about having a lot of elite skills that he just doesn't have right the game kind of requires you to have those elite skills like yep. you need to be able to throw a football over a mountain in this game as part of a mini game, which is something sure. Napoleon can't do. And like that's, that's the point. point of the character is that he can't do these maybe, things. Maybe this entire game takes place in Napoleon's brain. Now <laughs> that was that I was having that kind of thought as well. You know, like so that that there could be. I mean, that might be meeting it more than halfway. There, well, but, I think uh, there are definitely some mini games that imply that because they really start stretching for mini games as it goes on. Like near the beginning of the <laughs> movie. When Napoleon goes and does a presentation, he talks about how they're like dropping bombs on the Loch Ness monster or something. Yeah, that's one of the mini games later where you <laughs> play as Napoleon underwater and you use wizard skills to destroy battleships that are trying to drop bombs into the lake of Loch Ness, which is you know 
one one throwaway line in the movie and another one you hunt wolverines in alaska in a very much knockoff of the oregon trail hunting mini game okay uh, yeah guys oh, we're gonna, we're gonna play a this. slightly this less polished version of the oregon trail hunting game um all right guys but, we're, we're gonna play through this a little bit further than we did because some of these sound amazing but uh, i mean you're gonna be disappointed for what it for what it's worth um but yeah, I, I guess I think that the mini game collection was a pretty smart way to do this. If you have to make a game based on this, because like we were saying earlier, the movie's pretty ramshackle and it's sort of a random collection of scenes. Like I forgot that there was even a bowling scene in the movie when I played the game. And I'm like, oh, what is what is this? And then on rewatching, I'm like, yeah, there is a bowling scene. It takes about it's about two minutes long. Yeah. And the um, only takeaway from it is keep going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah exactly it's just they had a bowling alley that was available for them to use and they needed to film somewhere um, yeah they needed to and, pad the the time on the movie a little bit yeah and this game has like anno annoying voice clips um but it does it does the terrible thing where like most of it is not voiced it's just the only things that are voiced are like john heater saying gosh or yeah, i did sweet. it like yeah. yeah and so that that wears you down um I don't know. It was like the whole thing to play through all the mini games, I think took me less than two hours. Um, and I didn't feel any, there is a multiplayer component here. You guys didn't happen to have two PSPs laying around. Did you? No, no, sadly, <laughs> shockingly. No, no. Yeah. I, I'd be a weird person to go over to their house and be like, let's play Napoleon dynamite the game. Here's a PSP and an extra copy that I bought. All right, so you're acting like you're not going to do this at your next game party. Well, yeah, you're right. I guess I don't even know what the multiplayer mini games would be. Yeah. Um, also a weird choice to have um like I get it, dancing is a big part of the movie, but like it's never that fun when your portable game requires you to have the volume up. Like a rhythm game is is you can't really play it on the bus. <laughs> Yeah, we we did play this on an emulator, uh, sure. you know, and like put it up on like the big screen, you know. So, it it worked a little better in that regard. But like, yeah, it, it I always found the original PSP to be kind of unpleasant to play. Like just yes. the button face, it's all very cramped up, and like I would always kind of hurt my fingers. That's um, why Steve just showed us his PSP and then <laughs> yes. directed us to the laptop. <laughs> Like, yeah, see? Controller. I would be amazed great. if anybody showed me a PSP in today this year that was in good condition. Like I it own a PSP. In great shape. Oh, no, really? no, the bat the battery is all swollen and fell out of the back. Oh, is like it? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I feel like the battery is bursting. Like my PSP has just scratched. It's like I don't scratch any of my other screens, but my PSP screen is just decimated. Oh yeah. But, yeah. Sony knew what they were doing. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, they knew what they were doing when they made the Vita, even though that didn't sell at all. I played it on a Vita like, and like it um, had a heck of a, like having to tap on those buttons. The Vita button's very small. They um, are. Yeah. Did you I mean, the touch screen on the back at all or? No, no. That would be annoying. Um, well, so Jabin, what, what connected with you with yeah. this game? Like you're, you were, you were uh, one of the vocal defenders here. I feel like it had the whimsy of the movie. Like I understand what you're saying about skills, but I think it, it definitely had the whimsy. Like it definitely actually, you can tell that they watched the movie, which compared to some of the games that we play, um, you can tell like that's yeah. not a guarantee that the programmers uh, and developers uh, watch the movie. Um, I feel like it was a uh, delightful. Um, it, it, I feel like it brought the charm that some of the movie had to the to the game. Um, and I thought they were really creative and using very small things from the movies to create games. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we, we talked about how this movie is just a string of one-liners. So, like, this is a pretty direct way to adapt it. Like, not only is this a game, like, made up of small moments the same way the movie is, we're actually literally adapting those jokes into a game you know so like it is about as when you think about it it's about as one-to-one -one an uh adaptation as you can make in its own weird way uh so like yeah i i can i can applaud them for finding a way to gamify this in a way that does actually make a certain amount of sense even if it's not entirely successful you know i always hate those rhythm dancing mini games on a psp especially like i think i tried to play parappa the rapper on a psp at some point and there's just those triggers just the, don't respond the 
also the button icons don't make any sense no. because like the right trigger like or the right directional button points to the left and so yeah. as it floats by you're like i don't know what direction that is yeah um, yeah that, that was always annoying but yeah, uh, uh, kind of a weird little surprise here. Like, not uh, not a uh, like you really can't argue for this being a top tier game. But like, the more we're talking about it, and the more we're kind of dissecting the uh, the analysis of it, it's like it's kind of successful in what it's trying to do. It, the, the, I think that we encountered this quite a bit when we um, played played Wii U games or N sixty four games, where yeah. I would be very sort of generous to like mini game collections or games that are fun to play for like an hour yeah because we had we had some great times playing those games but like if i had bought this at the store in 2007 for my psp for like you know 40 bucks yeah. i would have been pretty to'd oh yeah um because it's just there's really not much game here and like it's all quite slapdash and like there's not even that much. There's not really like clips from the movie aside from the still images of like the paper crab version of these characters. And there's not, there's no aspect of like, there's no new, new Napoleon dynamite content here. Like you're not seeing yeah. any sort of new lines or new stories or character interactions. Like the only thing that happens is Tina, the llama gets lost and you have to find her, um, which, you know, it's just some thread to tie the mini games together. Could have all been, of it is basically retreads from the movie. Yeah. But like, yeah. again, like playing it in this setting, feeling nostalgic for Napoleon Dynamite and um, ha like just having two hours available to play through some of these mini games. Like I had fun. Um, and if and you're was, if you're sticking with Justin's theory that this is all just in Napoleon's head, it actually makes a lot more sense too. You know, like that he's he's living out his little. Well, some of them world. definitely are. There's another mini game where you fly around on a unic on a Pegasus and like shoot things out of the sky with flaming arrows. So, <laughs> there, there is go. there a Liger though? Oh, there's definitely a Liger. I think there's a whole Liger mini game if I remember. <laughs> oh they God. all blend together in my head because there's a lot. When of you them. play them all in quick succession. You realize 30, 30 mini games is a lot. Yeah, it's really a lot. Yeah, that's going to yeah. keep you busy. Yeah, that's that's like a third of a Mario party or something like that. That, that may even be cool. like a whole like early Mario party. Ooh, I got to say, though, on some of the later levels, I there was like most of the earlier mini games are take place over three rounds. And some of the later ones, they would have a fourth round. And I would oh, audibly no. groan every time that round four came up. <laughs> I was like, oh, more of this. Oh, I was always stresses when me out. Three came up. Yeah. yeah, because three seems like such a natural place to stop. So when they throw in four, I'm just like, are they going to 10? Like, do I yeah. have to play 10 of these? Yeah, because if uh, any of these mini games went for more than like three minutes, I'm like, too long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's move on then to our uh, rankings of these properties. Now, uh, we go on a scale of good movie, good game to bad movie, bad game, or some measure in between. Uh, I don't think we've ever once actually stuck to that specific scale. <laughs> We're going to throw in our own words in here. So uh, I'm going to say this is a gosh movie and a dang it game. <laughs> Adapt to that as you will. That's I think a I'm lower pretty... effort than I usually put in. <laughs> When I make and a you, bullshit your, your effort is usually like, this was a movie and this was a game. <laughs> God. Uh, Would you say that's accurate this time too, Justin? Yeah, I wasn't fond of the movie. Okay. Um and I don't I don't think it was bad, but it it was it was a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think J-Ban hit the nail on the head on a lot of points. Uh, this is my second time seeing it in 20 years, and uh, I'm probably good. Maybe maybe I'll get a third view in in the next 20 years. Maybe not, but if I don't, I won't be sad. Well, you got uh, to go once a decade, it sounds like. Yeah, you do three and 30 and like four and 40, and yeah. I don't know about that one. And that's how uh, we will measure the passing of the hours of our lives. <laughs> this has been this decade has been four Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> oh no, that's a decade. Um, yeah, uh, I think the game was again. It was okay. I lean towards bad game just because there's no real substance to I think, it. I think this is unquestionably a bad game if you don't like the movie. Even though J Ban might disagree, because to me the only 
the main joy I found was the goofy uh, paper cutouts and stuff. But... Uh, the the mini games absolutely felt like the type of shit that we would play uh, online in the computer lab at school. Oh, like it's old flash, flash game. game. Yeah, it's yeah. A flash game. Yeah. Uh, Jaben, where do you land on that? Uh, I think it's a um, a flexible movie. <laughs> <laughs> flexible okay. i mean i think that's true i think that this movie is just like it's just what it is and like you guys said earlier sometimes you're in the pocket for it and like sometimes you're not but like the the movie does what it sets out to do it's just yeah, it, yeah. it's schrodinger's movie exactly <laughs> yeah uh and i i had fun with the mini games so i'm gonna say a fun game Maybe Perfect. maybe it's only fun for a certain amount of time, but uh, I I did have fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what do you have about you? I say good movie. And if you're if you're in the exact same boat as me and you like looked up this episode of the podcast, you're like, oh, I love that movie. Like you could play this game for a couple hours and have an all right time. I would yeah. not near, go as far as to say it's a good game. No. Um, but not so, a disaster. Yeah, I would say good movie, bad game, but like that's okay. It's a very I don't know. I, I, a, I guess I yeah. was just feel when when you when you decided that you were gonna do this podcast, I'm like, oh, you're gonna have to play so much garbage because like <laughs> my my memory of like movie based games is so much like Back to the Future and the Terminator yeah. for for NES that are just like absolutely horrendous and like this game was not really on that level. No, no. Yeah, we've played much worse. You want to know so the one that, worse. like, I think has, I don't know about y'all if you have a new, like, worse game, but the one that's kind of still been sticking with me as a terrible game is the Vertigo uh, from, like, 2019. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, they did not have uh, they did like the world's loosest adaptation of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, and it's like this weird point-and-click adventure thing with no momentum and no energy. They, so they tried to make like a Quantic Dream game out of it. Yeah, uh, and it didn't. It didn't work. No, I mean I will say like that's a pretty good idea. If I was gonna design a game based yeah. on Vertigo, that's the genre and vibe that makes sense. It was uh, wholly like. It was licensed, but there was nothing taken from the movie nothing. other than like you're vaguely solving a crime. Yeah, and he's like kind of agoraphobic. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, bad movie or bad bad game. Yeah, Vertigo is a pretty good movie. Yeah, this say. is Steve's new hot take. Vertigo, boo. Vertigo sucks <laughs> eggs. Yeah, don't see it. Alfred Hitchcock, come for me, bro. Yeah. Uh, well, it, Woody, it's been delightful having you back. Thank you for taking the time yeah. and uh, talking some dynamite with us. Um, no, that 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 was fun. I was, I I, I think about this movie a lot, um, and I always curious to hear other people's takes because it's not like. I don't feel like it's an accepted movie that everyone likes as proof by the four of us having fairly disparate opinions. So. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have, we contain all these different disparate opinions within ourselves as well. Um, do you have anything else to plug anything to let people know about? No, just, I don't just be a cool dynamite out. for the PSP or DS. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's fun on the DS. You get to touch a bunch of stuff. That is fun, always fun. fun to touch. Things. That's that's what I'll plug. I'll plug touching things. <laughs> I mean, I'm in favor. Um, okay. <laughs> no more. No more questions. Let's move on. No more questions. No more questions. <laughs> uh, well, you can still find our old episodes of Ultra 64, We Universe. They're all out there. We podcasted a lot together. So there's and they they those are evergreen. They're they're always out there. So check them out. And if you want to listen to more of this show here, Cinema Arcade, we've got another uh, movie coming for you next week. One that I have not seen, and I'm excited to get to it because we're going to be talking about one of the most legendary box office failures of all time. Still ooh, to this ooh. day, one of the biggest money. Do you have a guess? Are you going to play Cutthroat Island? Yes, we are. It is going no. to be Cutthroat <laughs> Island. You got it in one. We are talking about... I played about... that game a lot for Super Nintendo. I don't think I ever got past the minecart level. <laughs> I haven't so far either. And to be clear, that's level two. Yeah. yeah. God. God. So, minecarts... There was a lot of minecart games on the Super Nintendo. And, like, the minecarts was always the worst part. Yep. Like, yeah. Yeah, pretty much universally. And yet now there's going to be a new uh, Donkey Kong Country themed roller coaster, a minecart roller coaster at uh, the uh, Nintendo Land. 
Uh, um, I keep getting that uh, put in my algorithm. So I mean, honestly, that sounds pretty awesome. It looks pretty fun. Looks yeah. pretty fun. They found a way to make you safely do the jumps between rails. Too. Oh yeah, that's fun. that's in there. You jump out of the cart into they, the into the next cart. No, they do. It's like well, it's it's like a uh, like a double rails. I don't know. There's videos of it. It looks interesting. Wow. Yeah. Either okay. way, situation or. But yeah, we're talking about Cutthroat Island, a uh, a, a big old floppy uh, flop of a movie that uh, I'm still looking forward to watching because I like Rennie Harlan movies. They're they're agreeably dumb, and this one seems like it might be agreeably dumb. Now, J-Ben, you've seen this one before already. Yes, I have. Okay. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited to get adjusted. We're, we're back no. to our normal trend of uh, me knowing nothing about this movie. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll all be pleasantly surprised when we talk about Cutthroat Island next time. Thank you to everybody for being here, and we will see you next time. Gosh. Bye. That was more of a goofy gosh. <laughs> <I know. laughs> gosh. Gosh. gosh.